you guys for coming. Um, I'm Stacy, and I'm a librarian here. Um, we're excited to have Dr. Ravi Chandra here to talk about, um, well, looks like his presentation's on narcissism in the American psyche. Um, he has a new-ish book that's out um, called Face Buddha, um, Transcendence in the Age of Social Media. It did win the 2018 um, Nautilus Book Silver, uh, the Silver Award for Nautilus Books, yes. right? Okay. So um, again, we're excited to have them. We're looking forward to your discussion, and um, if they have questions during the presentation, sure. after sure, both. both. Okay. All right. Thanks for being here. Yes. yes. Thanks, Stacy, and to the South San Francisco Library for having me. And uh, uh, my book is available here or online as for digital download. Uh, and the library is also going to have a copy as well. Uh, and uh, did win a 2017 Nautilus Silver Award uh, for uh, Religion, Spirituality of Eastern Thought. It won the silver. I like to joke that Thich Nhat Hanh won the gold, so I can't really <laughs> complain about coming in second. So anyway, so this is a talk about narcissism in the American psyche and also in social media. Um, so. Uh, and this is my contact information uh, up there as well. Um, you can get more information about the book at facebuddha.co. Um, so, narcissism in America. Uh, Google searches for narcissism reached an all-time high last February, February of 2017. And gee, I wonder why we were all so interested. Um, what is narcissism? Grandiosity, an inflated view of self, devaluing others, viewing them only as resources or tools to one's end. Um, so we can all probably imagine situations where we've encountered this. Uh, medically speaking, there are three types of narcissists, the grandiose malignant, the vulnerable, and the highly functioning. Uh, but there's a great deal of overlap between all of these. And there's also healthy narcissism, a healthy amount of self-love and self-respect. But there's not always a clear boundary between healthy and pathological narcissism as well. There's a real spectrum. And, and things can, different conditions can push us around on the spectrum. If, if you press somebody really hard, uh, or in particular ways, they can uh, uh, become, they can seem more narcissistic. All right, I see you're taking a picture of that, so I'll wait. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, and so, uh, so I like to see, say, where is the I in all of this? So where is the I in the narcissism? Okay. Um, Americans actually view other Americans as more narcissistic than themselves. And globally, Americans are viewed as more narcissistic, extroverted, and antagonistic than citizens of one's own country. America has wealth and power, and therefore is seen as grandiose and self-important. And we can wonder what those ratings would be like now. This is three years after the study. So uh, granted, there are perceptions, and there is evidence to the contrary of America's generosity and so forth as well. So it doesn't all go one way. But self-centeredness has been a concern in America for over a well over 100 years. Some say it was baked into our Constitution. And it's also a natural concern of the, America of the human psyche as well. Uh, so if we look at the Declaration of Independence, you can see we hold these truths to be self-evident, blah, 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 life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, so inalienable rights and the pursuit of happiness, except that women, slaves, free blacks, and other minorities were not equal in the Constitution. That was self-centeredness in favor of white males. 
And uh, of course, the seeds of destruction of this self-centeredness were also baked in. We fought a civil war and had many other ongoing uh, inspiring social movements to challenge inequality. And what, what does pursuit of happiness mean? And that's a question that comes up over historical time as well. Um, all right, so uh, manifest destiny is also part of America, a belief in the special virtues of the American people and their institutions that the U.S. was destined to expand across North America. And this, of course, uh, well, uh, as you may, as you probably know, led to Native American genocide. Um, and uh, you could look at uh, Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz's uh, An Indigenous People's History of the United States uh, to find out more about that. And um, so Manifest Destiny Today, uh, Elon Musk talks about colonizing Mars and the moon. Uh, we have a, a political slogan, Make America Great Again. Uh, Silicon Valley will change the world. This is another aspect of the manifest destiny idea, uh, disrupting uh, things. Uh, the, the myth of national superiority, American exceptionalism, instead of a balanced view of the nation's strengths and weaknesses. And all of these can be seen as essentially self-centered, egoistic, expansive drives. Okay. And we've struggled with our narcissism since the founding of the nation. And as human beings, we all struggle with this uh, question on an individual basis. Are we for ourselves or are we for other people? So uh, this is a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Uh, and uh, uh, basically, it's, uh, you know, I could, I could read it all. Nature suffers nothing to remain in her kingdoms which cannot help itself. The genesis and maturation of a planet, its poise and orbit, the bended tree recovering itself from the strong wind, the vital resources of every animal and vegetable are demonstrations of the self-sufficing and therefore self-relying soul. Nothing can bring you peace but yourself. Nothing can bring you peace but the triumph of principles. Now, Emerson lived 1803 to 1882. He was a philosopher, poet, abolitionist, uh, eventually an abolitionist, and transcendentalist. And it was written when he was 39 years old. Um, so I don't know if he changes views as he aged. Um, so American self-reliance and the focus on principles is inspiring, but it leaves out the fact that we are all interrelated and no one is truly self-reliant. Uh, Self-reliance only goes so far. Even principles are developed in relationship with each other. With, with each other, we all depend on each other. Uh, but this individualistic and stoic streak of American, particularly masculine identity, has been powerful from the get-go. Narcissism does lead to suffering uh, because of devaluation and empathic failures. Uh, some, some uh, psychiatrists have said, narcissists are not identified by how they feel, but how they make others feel. So, and narcissists also suffer themselves from insecurity, loneliness, and the lack of understanding of how to make relationships work. And some can be very successful in one domain, so they can get a pass for their excellence in that domain. But this often masks what's going on inside and uh, traumas in childhood and relating. And they, they often do have blind spots uh, in how they relate to others and, and how they go about their work. Um, so if you go back to the uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the uh, Psychiatry uh, Association, uh, these are the elements of personality functioning. There are self and interpersonal elements of personality function. And I, I won't go into details here, uh, but there's self-identity and self-direction and interpersonal empathy and intimacy. And all of these are impaired in narcissistic personality disorder, the full-on full disorder, 
uh, and uh, also in other personality issues. But it's, it's something I think we can all think about as we uh, try to cultivate ourselves. So identity, self-direction, empathy, and intimacy. Uh, the Atlantic Monthly in uh, September 1907 warned that the rock upon which most of the flower-bedecked marriage barges go to pieces is a latter-day cult of individualism, the worship of the brazen calf of the South. So that's 111 years ago. And t uh, updated this to Tom Wolfe in 1976, labeled it the Me Decade. Prosperity, post-war prosperity begat indulgence, encounter sessions, commune, sexual revolution, psychedelics, well, basically California. Um, and he called this narcissism the, th the third great awakening. Uh, and his last line is here, the mightiest, holiest beat of all, the beat that goes me, 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 me. Now, of course, this is a one-sided view of all of those things. I think people were obviously trying to find themselves. But, but uh, Wolf calls much of this uh, self-involvement narcissistic. Christopher Lash in 1979 uh, wrote a very popular book which described an exhaustion of drives and a bankruptcy of ideas in capitalism and liberalism. The center didn't hold, and in this vacuum we turn to the self. And uh, he quotes uh, uh, business uh, uh, books and advisors saying that the, uh, the, the corporate leader's deepest fear is to be labeled a loser, and there is a need to be in control. And success meant not simply getting ahead, but getting ahead of others. So um, you know, we, can, we can make our conclusions about where we see that in the world. Um, so also from the culture of narcissism, uh, during the Puritans uh, era, uh, every Christian had a general calling to serve God and a personal calling uh, by which his usefulness in his neighborhood is distinguished. Uh, God hath made man a sociable creature. But the Puritans did recognize that a man might get rich at his calling, but they saw personal aggrandizement as incidental to social labor. Uh, but this was hypocritical, because many of the uh, practitioners of Puritanism in New England waxed fat and prosperous on the trade in rum and slaves. Uh, uh, the captain of industry gave way to the confidence man, the master of impressions. Uh, the, the young men were told that they had to sell themselves in order to succeed. Uh, so appearances count for more than performance. Uh, uh, people wish acclaim, they wish to be admired. They crave not fame, but the glamour and excitement of celebrity. They want to be envied rather than respected. Uh, and uh, pride and acquisitiveness have given way to vanity. So uh, individualism, competition, and the pursuit of the main chance is what Lash uh, argued uh, was arising in America. That was all a very impressionistic take on America. In 2009, Twenge and Campbell published The Narcissism Epidemic, which was based on research on uh, surveys, uh, uh, the narcissistic personality inventory, and other measures given to college-age students over three or four decades. And what they found was that uh, uh, N these NPI scores reached an all-time high amongst millennials. Uh, and, a one, and one in 10 people in their 20s endorsed narcissistic personality disorder, whereas only one in 30 people over 64 years. So people who had lived you know, three or four times longer were still endorsing uh, narcissism at rates three times less. So they par uh, pointed the finger at the self-esteem movement, phony self and social media, along with a need for admiration, celebrity culture, and easy credit. So, 
here's how I basically see it. Uh, in the middle, we have self-centeredness. We have empathic deficits, cognitive distortions, relational problems, uh, uh, suffering, a focus on wealth, power, and status, mistrust, <coughs> antagonism, incivility, violence, loneliness, and devaluation. The tribalism uh, and tribalistic nationalism, racism, sexism, homophobia, etc., all depend on a self-centeredness which devalues others. Um, and uh, all of these things come out of it. Now, psychiatrists are not supposed to uh, go in for one-size-fits-all narrative. So, you know, so this is a bit of an oversimplification. There are many factors here, but, but uh, you know, I just want to give you, if there is a one-size-fits-all narrative for me, it would be something like this. Um, so we have a, a narcissistic, tribalistic, competitive, individualistic culture in many ways, and I believe this under, undergirds uh, what Martin Luther King called the giant triplet of racism, materialism, and militarism. So uh, the focus on the self as opposed to the interrelatedness between us. And narcissism has been, been a concern long before America was around, and it's not just a concern in America, it's a concern around the world. All religions admonish self-centeredness and devaluing others. The Ten Commandments could be read as don't devalue others, don't kill, lie, steal, etc. Uh, the Beatitudes uh, say the blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, etc. And the golden rule is present in all major faiths. In Buddhism, greed, hatred, jealousy, and suffering spring out of uh, 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 trying to maintain a mistaken <coughs> concept of an independent existence of self. And I say in my book, Face Buddha, social media is not just a medium. It is like a new religion. The tweet is our call to prayers. We thumb our phones like rosaries. The status update is our Sermon on the Mount. The, the, the selfie, our personal anointment and beatification. We say grace by taking pictures of our food. But the question is, is, <laughs> is social media a temple of the self, the shrine of personality? Or is it what its supporters say it is, the best chance for humanity to come together, the best possibility for us to transcend self-centeredness? So, uh, so this is the percentage of Americans on social media. 68% uh, on, on Facebook and Snapchat. Uh, Snapchat is the 18 to 29-year-olds only. Instagram, 35%. Pinterest, 29%. LinkedIn, 25%. Twitter, 24%. And as you can see, the vast majority of American adults are on social media. Um, and uh, although this is a bit down on, uh, Facebook is a bit down from 2016, where it was higher. Now, of course, not all these people are narcissistic. Uh, but the medium is the message. I want to explore some different sides of the medium. And, and just to note, globally, Facebook is larger than the Catholic Church and approaches the number of Christians worldwide. So, and it would be the largest country on earth if all the members were gathered together, about two billion people. So it's a significant influence on us all. A year or so ago, a couple years ago now, one of my patients, a young woman in her mid-20s working in a tech-related field, said to me, Snapchat is an empathy engine. I can see the world through the eyes of someone a world away. She described news stories or snaps from a young man in Africa. Maybe she's right, I thought to myself, as psychiatrists like myself know well, caring begins when we really learn to hear another person's story. So at the same time, social media seems inherently narcissistic. Facebook is a form of display, self-presentation and self-curation. When we are in the Facebook matrix, we often end up caring most about how many likes we get on our latest status update or selfie, 
and many present a grandiose highlight reel of their lives. Uh, Facebook is what someone else called a success theater. So you just see the, the, the good stuff uh, often. Um, so I've, been, I've just been named to the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Here I am on my fantastic vacation. Here I am at this incredible event. Here's another example of my amazing wit. Here's another, yet another picture of my adorable and perfect toddler, my perfect partner, my perfect life. Okay. So, but, you know, I, it's not all one way. Facebook can be used to mourn. Uh, and some people say social media is only a tool. It can be used for good or bad. Uh, for every example of self-centeredness, we can point to other examples of genuine sharing, caring, and relationship. People do share vulnerability and distress online, and this brings connection. Sheryl Sandberg touched millions by writing about her grief after her husband's tragic death in an accident in 2015. We may first hear of a friend's illness on Facebook. We may find community and support for our identities online when it is lacking in our real-world lives. At important times, I certainly found a supportive and vast Asian-American community on Facebook. But what is the message of social media? Is it narcissism? Is it an empathy engine? Is it a vehicle for belonging and connection? Is it entertainment? A time-sucking distraction? An advertisement delivery vehicle? Or a surveillance machine? Does it promote narcissism and the other problems of the self? Or can we use it for good to achieve the opposite of self-centeredness, concern for and understanding of others? If the medium is the message, what is the message of social media? So why do we use social media? I would break it down into these four categories. Uh, and we are, we are social animals. We, we have inherent needs for social contact, belonging, and validation for others. Uh, social media uh, are, sites are popular precisely because they scratch this inescapable itch for, for belonging. Uh, and we are also curious about other people's lives. And we're interested in self-expression as well. And um, uh, so, but, so, so we have these uh, four uh, reasons for using social media. Now, when does social media become narcissistic? I think it's when the quest for belonging turns into a desire for fame, power, and control. Uh, when self-presentation becomes solipsism or an obsession with the self. When curiosity becomes envy through social comparison. And when a desire and a lust for connection becomes a greed for more friends and followers. Uh, because more friends and followers means more likes, and that feeds the ego. And, and that's how that goes. So social media, I like to say, is a slot machine. It's rigged for intermittent payoff. Um, and we are like gamblers in Vegas. We play the blue-walled bandit. Facebook is, has blue walls in hope for, of a payoff in, intent, in attention and popularity. So narcissism characterized by excessive attention-seeking for the sake of supplying an insecure or grandiose self seems part and parcel of the social media experience. High levels of Facebook use are associated with narcissism, extroversion, low self-esteem, neuroticism, and low self-worth. The more self-centered, insecure, or disconnected you are, the more time you likely spend on Facebook trying to get a fix. So, but there are some positive effects. Increased self-esteem, increased sense of belonging, increased sense of emotional closeness, but these are all in the short term primarily, at least. And, and it's harder to say, and there's a lot of evidence to the contrary, of a longer term use of Facebook. So does social media attract narcissists? or is it making us all more narcissistic? Are we 
the frogs in the social media pot unwittingly being brought to a narcissistic boil. All right, so there's a 2017 meta-analysis <coughs> of over 25,000 participants from 16 countries. And this showed a, a, a significant correlation between grandiose narcissism and having more Facebook friends, the intensity of Facebook usage, and uploading photos. Uh, and uh, so grandiose narcissists have a high opinion of themselves and believe others should admire them. Uh, and there's, uh, you know, I told you about the other types of narcissism, which are a little different. Now, in countries which have large power distances, uh, particularly Asian countries, you can think stereotypically, they're more hierarchical types of societies, which discourage narcissistic display in public, social networking seems to unmask narcissism. So you can't be narcissistic in public, but you can be narcissistic on Facebook. <clears throat> so, all right. So in summary of that, grandiose narcissists are more attracted to and more active on social media. It's an irresistible magnet for the grandiose <coughs> narcissist's exaggerated sense of self and need for admiration. So narcissism does predict, others, according to other studies, increasing Facebook use over time for men, more time spent on Facebook, more self-promoting content, and Facebook addiction. So uh, social media is skewed towards narcissism. Uh, we're, we're inordinately expressed to narcissists online because narcissists have more friends. And as we've seen, they tend to post more as well. So while narcissistic traits or the full-blown disorder might be present in only a few percent of the population, we encounter more than that in our, in our news feeds. The online environment is skewed towards narcissism. And once we're in the narcissist's wheelhouse, we may all be nudged towards more narcissism and self-promotion. But if you're not narcissistically inclined, you might find yourself dissatisfied in the narcissist's garden. And there's some evidence that this is the case. The more time you spend on Facebook, the more dissatisfied you are with yourself and friends, you have more depressive symptoms, more jealousy and envy, likely mediated by comparison and shame. Uh, people are more dissatisfied with their real life relationships. Uh, and they're unable to repair that dissatisfaction because they're spending a lot of time online. Um, so Facebook and Instagram are also correlated with dissatisfaction with body image through comparison. Uh, and orthorexia, which is having a very narrow diet, and then people post their diet, you know, it's called fitspiration and things like this. And, and so uh, people, you know, uh, 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 you know, in this environment where you see other people with very narrow diets, you're more inspired to take up a narrow diet. So that's, that's why uh, Instagram and Facebook are correlated with orthorexia. Also, there's an idealization of thinness and substance abuse in social media. Um, and, but what if you're happy with your social media usage? I would say, just before I move on, uh, be mindful. Uh, note how much time you spend in the apps. The average American spends 14 hours a week on social media. Uh, and make a conscious adaptation. Don't get caught up in a passive flow of just scrolling the news feed when you're, when you're feeling bored or lonely or whatever. Find out what's going on inside. Um, and I have the Facebook Mindfulness Challenge on my website, facebook.co or facebook.co slash mindfulness challenge. Uh, and you can, you can follow along those steps there to, to, to note what's happening with your mind on social media. But there are two very specific and popular ways to use social media that I think highlight narcissism, uh, the selfie and the angry. Oxford's word of the year for 2013 
was selfie. Smartphones were, are, are basically cameras with an occasional calling function. And I was congratulated on my first iPhone uh, purchase a few years ago by a friend who called it the phone good for everything but being a phone. Um, so the average millennial will take 26,000 selfies during their lifetime, more than one a day, and that's on uh, and, oh, and 93 million a day. Uh, uh, self, there are 93 million selfies taken a day on Android alone. Um, so, uh, so <coughs> selfies are pretty ubiquitous, and uh, so we should kind of be mindful of that. Um, and here's, uh, here's a nice image I found, Narcissus 2.0. Uh, selfies can be fun, they can document a moment or a meeting, but doesn't holding up a phone and looking at our own image seem a lot like Narcissus at the pond just before he fell in? And there are apps such as Maytoo and Facetune to make your ugliest selfies look beautiful. Vanity and the need for others' approval for one's looks and self-esteem could satisfy uh, narcissistic personality disorder criteria as well. So are we being nudged towards narcissism with selfies? Um, Casio sells a special prettifying phone in China. It's flying off the shelves at $1,000 a pop due to high demand. It's uh, nicknamed the magical weapon for ultimate selfies, and it makes your face slimmer, skin whiter, and eyes bigger for that perfect K-pop star or anime look. Uh, for more on the internet in China, there's a movie coming out called The People's Republic of Desire, uh, a documentary, and uh, there's also web junkies available on the web and the New Yorker article, uh, Beauty is Justice by Jiayang Fan, uh, to talk about the internet culture in, in China. Um, but how are selfies perceived? Uh, research demonstrates that people in selfies are perceived, at least by people who don't know them, as uh, to be more narcissistic, more extroverted, less open, less socially attractive, and less trustworthy. So caveat selfie taker, at least for people who don't know you. For people who know you, maybe they'll kind of get what you're trying to do. So that's, that's the thing we don't know yet. Um, so, but, uh, but if we tend to rate selfie takers, at least those we don't know, as more narcissistic, less trustworthy, and less socially attractive, et cetera, why are we taking so many selfies ourselves? So this goes back to our original question. Is social media making us more narcissistic? So, um, so I'll, I'll skip this slide. I talked about it briefly about uh, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, impairments in personality functioning. But as far as identity, self-direction, empathy, and intimacy, we can see how uh, selfies could be superficial. They're, they're motivated by gaining approval for one, one from others and so forth. So potentially could be uh, uh, elements of, of narcissism. I also uh, like to think that uh, now anger is also the mo most viral emotion on, on social media, and so the angries might be considered narcissistic as well. Uh, as I write in my book, Twitter and Facebook are, are, are auxiliary amygdala. Now the amygdala are those parts of our brain which respond to threats, and so we naturally get angry when we see threats, and, and it's very contagious. Uh, anger is the most viral, media, uh, viral emotion in social media. Uh, it's more viral than happiness, sadness, or disgust. Um, so, so anger is not all bad, of course. Anger is necessary in human relationships, and, and uh, we have reasons for our anger. You know, that's, uh, that's true. But the question is, how much do we want to entrain our own anger and remain angry? We always ask, what is the internet angry about today? Every day there's a new something 
And uh, then what do you do with that? That's, that's the question. Do, you, do your habits turn towards being an angry person if you spend too much on, time online? That's what I worry about as a psychiatrist. And that's one of the reasons I deactivated my Facebook account, uh, because it was just too much of a barrage of opinion and, uh, and anger and so forth, and not enough of the connecting uh, 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 kinds of uh, uh, comments that, that I personally get benefit from, and, and I think we all need as human beings. Um, and also anger, uh, the facts can be faulty and emotions are, are strong. And so it's not a good mix uh, usually for having a productive discussion. Uh, when you're angry in person, at least we can validate each other. But if you're angry online, it's hard to make the conversation work. People tend to get polarized in, in my experience. Um, so, uh, so can anger and hostility online be narcissistic, at least in part? Or is it purely a demand for empathy? I think this is an open question, and we have to just be conscious of how <coughs> online anger is affecting us. And vulnerable narcissists are prone to anger when they don't get their way or they feel devalued or criticized. I mean, you know, of course, everybody might have an urge to get angry when they feel devalued or criticized, but, but this is a particularly out disproportional uh, uh, response, uh, reaction. Are more people becoming more egotistically angry online? I don't know. The studies haven't been done, but, uh, but there's, you know, there, the, you know, in my experience, perhaps, perhaps. So, uh, so, um, so I think there's a social media identity crisis our life cycle on social media goes from exuberance and excitement and curiosity and experimentation to addiction or disillusionment and ambivalence to adaptation, resignation, exit, or continued ambivalence. And then we go back. We might repeat the cycle. We might deactivate and then reactivate and go back and forth. And this can be seen in light of identity and personality. Uh, self and identity are activated and often in crisis, I think, on social media. When we post something, we struggle with questions like, who am I? Who do I want to be? Will I be accepted? Can I accept myself? We assert our identity and personality and then worry about it. How does it come across? How do I hold this part of myself? So there is a challenge to our identities when we're, when we're interacting online. And in my book, I talk about being two-spirited. Um, there's the self-centered parts of our brain and the more selfless parts of our brain. And I think these dualities are uh, in dialogue always. Um, and there are narcissistic demands on that self-centered part, the uh, uh, reacting to perceived threats to self and principle, in dialogue and conflict with compassion, connection, long-term planning, and so forth. And so. Um, so we, I think this is something that we all kind of try to resolve as we uh, try to work through our identities. So my book has transcendence in the title, and I'm really talking about transcendence of self-centeredness to get to this place of interdependence and community and connection. So is social media a path to that connection? Is it a bridge? Does it bring you to real-world relationships? Or is it a diversion from our work in the real world? And I think that's also an open question. And answers may vary for everyone. So, um, so uh, but I, 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 my bias is that conversation, presence, understanding, empathy, trust, agreeableness, uh, conscientiousness, and love can only really happen in the real world as we sit with each other, as we hear each other, and listen to each other, and see each other. 
So identity is formed in dialogue between the self and selfless spirit and other dualities and parts of our complex inner life, masculine and feminine, our relationships with other people. All of these, these aspects of ourselves are always in dialogue, and we form our identities through that dialogue and interrelationship. So, uh, and you know, I should say, opinion is also there too, but online, we sometimes get so attached to opinion as an aspect of our identity that we forget about the relational part. And so you can be right or related, right or happy. And that's, that's kind of the conflict that comes up for me and others on social media. Uh, and I think in the broader American context, there's also an American identity crisis in the country at large. Rapidly changing demographics and uh, economic conditions call into question who we are and who we are in relation to each other. And there are triggers that uh, 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 there's defensiveness, paranoia, hatred, and even an identity psychosis, where some people get so attached to their identities that they really devalue other people. And so I think this is one source of our political polarization. And so suffering is a crisis in connection. And overall, we are disconnected, uh, I think. Uh, belonging is the opposite of suffering. And in America, loneliness is an epidemic. There's a Surgeon General's report about that. Um, and as I said before, uh, online, uh, we, we get into our opinion echo cham chambers, uh, and that happens in real life as well. And we can be right or related, right or happy. And there's a Buddhist saying, the world is divided into those who are right. Uh, and too many people who want to be right rather than related, angrily attaching to opinion as a, as a component of identity. I mean, I, I, we're never going to be beyond holding opinions, but I think it's how we, how we have our opinions. Yeah. When you say right, could that also apply to values? Like, uh, you know, I have, I, this is what I, what I value, and trying to be right in our values, does that include that? Well, I think, I think so, I mean, because our values can be different. I think, I think we naturally attach to values and principles and all of that, but I think, you know, when you're talking about them with someone else, uh, can, is it a source of connection or is it a source of division? And that's, that's the okay, case. How, how, do you, how do you bring it into relationship? I think that's yeah, the question. Okay. So how do you hold that value or opinion in relationship to others. I think that's the, that's the challenge of our day, really. Um, okay, so what is the way out of our self-centeredness and our American identity crisis? How should we pursue happiness? I think answers can vary for everyone in the room, but I would suggest that these three things, uh, as I talk about, if you go to my website, sfpsychiatry.com, there's a PDF on this. Mindfulness, compassion, and relationship are the ways we get out, we, we understand our inner lives and also relate to others. So I think that's, uh, that's my take on it and my summary. But um, so about a year after my, my patient said Snapchat is an empathy engine, she had a relationship crisis in which she felt she had not worked hard enough to understand her boyfriend. I looked at her and nodded sympathetically. Relationships are the real empathy engine. But evidence suggests that social media are largely or can be largely an engine for narcissism. Uh, social media surfaces the problem of belonging and relationship, but they don't solve it. They might be a bridge, but they might take us farther afield. Um, so, so I think this is an open question that we can talk about further. Um, and this is just to close up. Uh, uh, so, so there is a study uh, that's based on historian surveys and expert opinions uh, about narcissism 
and all the U.S. presidents up to George Bush, not including the last two presidents. Uh, and uh, so at the top of the list, Lyndon Johnson and Teddy Roosevelt, high risk but also high achieving uh, in, in many ways. Uh, John F. Kennedy right up there, Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, Jimmy Carter right in the middle, George Washington just above him, slightly more narcissistic than Jimmy Carter. Eisenhower right in the middle. Uh, Abraham Lincoln well below the average. Now I should say all presidents were rated as more narcissistic than the average person. You can imagine. You know, if you want the office, you've, you've got a little bit of it. You know, let's what, what, were these uh, polls taken of the people of their epic time? Yeah. No, no, no. This is current. This was done in like people. 2000. 2013. People are judging them. 2013. People judge them based on their actions From and then. their words, and yeah. Wow. So it's in retrospect. Those are some of my yeah. favorite presidents, right there. It's yeah. Like, I don't see it. Well, <laughs> well, well, I mean, opinions may vary, but <laughs> yeah. this, these were historians and wow. experts. Yeah. And uh, and then right at the bottom, Millard Fillmore, number 42. And since my office is on Fillmore Street in San Francisco, I feel like I'm off the hook. I'm done. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> So uh, I'd like to also thank Drs. Glenn Gabbard and Jean Twenge for their ideas which informed this presentation. And this is my book, uh, Face Buddha, uh, which I have available here. It's, it'll also be in the library, as I mentioned. Um, and there's also another book uh, called uh, about gun identity and gun psychology, which is uh, about the gun psychosis, basically, we have in this country right now. So, yeah, so that's available uh, as a download for 99 cents, or I have one copy here for 6.95. So, all right. So, um, yeah. So I can open up uh, to questions. Yes. Uh, my question is three or four parts. I'm gonna touch Chandra. Uh, okay. I don't know if you are a narcissist yourself. I was reading your bio, and you, it was you were described as poet, chef, psychologist, Buddhist. Those things, brand name for you. Are you? trying to show us off uh, as part of your narcissistic tendency? Well, you know, I guess I have to question that. I, I think, you know, there is a bit of, uh, when you're asked to provide a bio, you kind of list the things that you do. And, uh, but yeah, maybe I should just say I'm a human being living in San Francisco. So, and, and is yeah. narcissism a personality disorder? It can be. I mean, there's a, there's a you know, it, narcissism occurs with everybody. Everybody has some narcissism. Uh, it could actually be a problem if you have too little narcissism. Then you can get into problems as well. So the goal, I think, for, for us is to have a healthy amount of narcissism. Uh, you know. okay. Would you say also that narcissism is an element of leadership? You, you show well, those leaders. Sure. That's, that, that, that could well be, you know, I haven't studied narcissism and leadership, but I think uh, many of our leaders to date have had probably more narcissism than not, uh, at least presidentially. So, but I think there are other forms of leadership which might uh, be be extroverted in some way, but not narcissistic. I mean, I think this is this is a question. And finally, think, uh, you yeah. never mentioned the cause of narcissism. So this is uh, not totally understood. There are some biological, constitutional factors. There's also family pressures. There's trauma in early life, which I mentioned. So all of these factors. There's there's you know the things that your parents value in you. Uh, for example, classically or stereotypically, if a parent values you only for your achievements and not for your, who you are as a human being, that can promote narcissism. Okay, so, yeah. yeah, I'd like to piggyback off his uh, statement about uh, uh, leadership and uh, you know and uh, what do you call it? narcissism. A lot of those presidents were my favorites, and I think mm -hmm. about what yeah. they accomplished and things that they stood for. And I, to me, it's very like. Uh, like to me, like Jimmy Carter, he was the one who went 
out of his way to try not to go into another country and do the things that we're right. doing now that we've been doing since the Right, since and he's right in the middle, so he's, he's average. Yeah, but those yeah. are his things about what he did. Like, I mean, he actually he, he, uh, pushed uh, trying not to go into El Salvador, Nicaragua, and uh, uh, what do you call it, so other presidents earlier had pushed it, and he, that wasn't his view. He wanted to not do that like what we did with Vietnam and stuff. He right, was very right. anti that. Right, right. And some of these other guys, like, uh, what do you call it, like Roosevelt, oh, both Roosevelt, they, they did a lot for the country, and Andrew Jackson sure, did too, and sure. John F. Kennedy, oh. and Truman's kind of am. <laughs> I mean, I look at all these, I mean, those guys, I mean, I could just see all the, the things they, they actually did good for people, like uh, what, or Franklin Roosevelt. I mean, that's right. in his I'm, era, I'm, he was right. very much for I mean, civil rights. A narcissist can do good things for people. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, that's not, that doesn't yeah. rule, you know. You, I mean, I think, you know, uh, the question is how do they treat other people yeah. and how do they view themselves? Basically, a narcissist thinks they're better than everyone else and deserve more. You know, I mean, that's yeah. the classic. Okay. Thing. And so, so that's the question. How much are they really in that zone? And, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, his daughter said that Teddy Roosevelt wanted to be the baby in every baptism, the bride in every wedding, and the corpse at every funeral. Uh, so, you know, you can get a sense of. Oh, and, my God. And, you know, these people at the top, they're high risk, but potentially high reward, too. So, you know. Um, wow. Yeah. So, yes, back there. Yeah. I actually suffer when I get into my neighbors and community. Uh huh. And basically, you suffer uh, when what? Sorry. Identity crisis on Facebook. Uh huh. Okay. And basically, uh, my neighbors uh, tried to talk to me back and forth, and they said, "You have to be careful when you say on Facebook, girl." And I said, "I tried to. I'm dealing with it, but they never uh, communicate with me. You know, and I try to be our friend, and I will do it anyway. And this this process changed." Yeah, so that's the question. I mean, you could, I, I could imagine, I, you know, I don't know the specifics of your situation, but you could imagine saying something in person to a person and it would be received. But when you say it online, you don't know how the other person's receiving it. They don't see your face or your tone of voice. So you lose a lot of that important communication. So, so then we, you know, we have this little bit of a mismatch, I think, that happens online. Yeah. Oh, this only did, uh, this study was done in 2013 and only examined the first 42 presidents. So up to George uh, W. Bush. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they didn't include Trump or Obama. Yeah. 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 I got another question on that. You said uh, historians were people who were questioned on this? or There was historians and also uh, expert uh, panelists, psychiatrists, psychologists. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I, I can't remember how many people. Uh, well, I was wondering what type of people were. I mean, if it was Joe Schmo in the, in the what do you call it, the, the shopping mall, or I oh, mean, no. where are they from? Just... These are experts okay. who, who read it. Yes, okay. yes. So, yeah. Did I'm just ask? curious your perspective on um, immigration and the American dream. Like the first few slides, what you described to me is like this stereotypical mythology of the American dream. Like this, that's why people come here because there's actually a chance to assert yourself and be recognized and be better than other people rather than in oppressive cultures where no one is anything. Right. And so then when you get here and realize, oh, this is who you become in that process, 
there's this is my experience. There's a disillusionment of like, oh, that's what I was chasing. Right. This is what my parents were pushing me to do. And I have really no, I don't want a part of it. But then how do you actually function in a society whose values are those? And I'm just right. curious what you found. Well, that's the question. Um, what is the American dream? I mean, if it's just about wealth, power, and status, I mean, those are, those are pretty narcissistic goals. I mean, uh, if it's just about the surface, but, I mean, I think we could think about, well, do we have another American dream, you know? Uh, and certainly I connect to a different kind of American dream, um, and it's not always, you know, in power. So, and how did yeah. that, and what point in your life did that awaken, or was that always in you? I think I always had that kind of optimism. I mean, you know, I, I, when I was a, a kid, you know, 10 years old, I was writing letters to Jimmy Carter about, so inspired by, you know, solar energy and all of that, and I, I felt like he was a really good person. So, um, so I connected to that, but, um, but you know, uh, uh, you, you get different impressions over time, um, so, yeah. Have you ever thought of writing something about like what you're what you're speaking about now, when with like other ideologies like communism and and so-called capitalism? Because you know I sort of see the American dream. A lot of people put like this American exceptionalism. They they kind of shove it in there, and it has like another like a dual identity. You know the American dream right. with American exceptionalism. And I mean I've talked. I'm a. I went back to school. I'm a college student again. Mm -hmm. And I talk to people from everywhere, and people from China say, well, our education is like this, and I don't like this. This is what I like about China, but this is what I hate about the education system. And then I get people from you know, Europe, they tell me, well, mm -hmm. I, I like this because of this. Right. And there's all these isms, and I'm, I'm thinking it's like, I think we're going through like a, an evolution through, exactly. not just us as individuals, but the world's trying to figure out yeah. different, yeah. What, what's, what works. In us and, and in uh, ideology, and I think you know, there's going to be some type of revolution. It doesn't even have to be violent. It could something's going to give. Yeah, I mean, there's. Uh, I, I I like to hope there's a transformation of consciousness that uh, that as we become more connected in various ways, that we can rise out of kind of the petty things. And I, I think some of the things you mentioned, the American exceptionalism and so forth. Uh, I think. Right now, America is very insecure. I mean, there's a lot of change. There's, you know, all these changes happening, and uh, you know, the, the, the so underneath this grandiosity, there's a lot of uncertainty and, and fear. And uh, so, how do we work with that? I think that's that's really the challenge of our time. And I think that's globally as well. I mean, you know, we're you know we're we've got so much uh, at our fingertips, you know, but. Uh, but the human element is really at risk. I mean, you know, and, and now, now the, the robots are going to take away jobs and artificial intelligence is going to take away jobs. I mean, and there's no clear plan for how those people are going to get taken care of or how they meet their uh, uh, emotional, biological, well, their all their needs well, uh, and their identities. Or in, in, within the group, you know. Right, right. I mean, you know, if, if computers can do all of that, well, what about me as a human being? What's my, what's my capacity? Yeah. What, what's my value? I think these are questions. That, uh, I wonder if uh, you would accept the fact that uh, narcissism is more of our uh, DNA, not cultural. It's instinctive. It's part of our psyche. And uh, the correlations you mentioned in there, uh, they're not causes. They're not the causes of uh, narcissism. Right. Those correlation seems to be 
the outcome, the symptoms of narcissism? Well, so the question, I, I mean, I think the broader question with social media and also American culture is, I think we all respond to the structures that we live in. I mean, we, we try to succeed. I mean, our, our basic, we want to survive. So we, want, we do what the environment is uh, motivating us to do. And so there are all kinds of effects that come down on the individual. There's also the individual element uh, and the biological element. But this is, this is, it's a very complex picture, I think. And so the question is, you know, what's the right mix of striving for individual, you know, uh, uh, financial success or, or uh, ex the, the kind of the wealth power status? What's the, what's the uh, uh, balance of that versus cultivating values uh, and uh, uh, interdependence and connections and so forth, uh, and to what end, too? You know, what's our society going for in the end? Are we, in the end, are we a competitive individualistic society or are we a pluralistic society? Well, you, you mentioned yeah. belonging, and yeah. Andrew Maslow, one of the great psychologists of the century, said that belonging is a psychological mandatory need of everyone. Mm -hmm. Belonging, sense of belonging, you should belong to a group, mm -hmm. tribal or right. otherwise. Right. So that is not narcissistic. Yeah. No, 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 I didn't say that was narcissistic. That, that's wrong. I said suff belonging is the opposite of suffering. Okay, so not, belonging is not narcissistic. Uh, that, that's not, that's not, yeah, that's not what I meant at all. I'm sorry if I gave that no, impression, but yeah, yeah. Belonging is, we're social animals. Of course we need to belong. Um, so, but the but, but I think that since there's an epidemic of loneliness, we can kind of look at why aren't we, uh, as a culture, finding this sense of belonging in our urban settings uh, and so forth. Would you so. say that Mother Teresa or Mahatma Gandhi examples of non-narcissistic human beings? I haven't studied them, but it certainly seems that way to me. I mean, they seem pretty selfless, oh. you know, but I, have, I don't know specifically. Uh, I don't know if anyone's you know psychologically looked at them, but uh, but they certainly seem they certainly seem very altruistic. So there's a book yeah. called The Search for God and Mother Teresa and the other people there. I've read that one. Okay, yeah, they're in there. They give their opinions. I've read that. Thank you. What do you think? What, what's your opinion about that? No, I'm open to anything. I okay. have no fixed idea because uh, yeah. I have an open mind. I yeah. have to learn from everyone else. Well, and I would you know say sometimes people kind of have to feel or be self-centered in order to, to, to go against something that's very self-centered, you know? And so, you know, I think we can, we, we can imagine that, you know, we, can, we probably all have examples of times in our life when we felt like we were facing somebody who was very self-centered, and we felt self-centered as we interacted with them because we had to, you know, uh, assert something. Or, exactly. So that's a kind of a momentary thing. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I said, yeah. you have to be self-centered to be self-empowered? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. This is an unanswered question for me. I mean, this is one possibility. I mean, you know, I think maybe there are other ways to be with, uh, with these situations as well. So, yeah. Anyway, thank you, Mr. Yeah. You're very welcome. Thank, thank you for you your great question. Next time yeah. you'll bring your food, the food that you cook. <laughs> that was actually a mistake. I'm not an aspiring chef. I go to cooking classes. So <laughs> somewhere, somewhere along the line, I think that got mistranslated. So, so. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay. Right. Yes. I have a question. Can you talk about your mindfulness challenge oh. and any experiences you've heard about? I, I tried it and I couldn't finish it. So. You couldn't finish it? No. Oh, okay. I, my whole world, like family and friends are so involved with social media okay. that it was difficult to not communicate with them unless social media was yeah. 
Well, I, uh, there's a, a, an article that I wrote that's on my website about what happened to me when I deactivated and I uh, deactivated Facebook. I felt the world really opened up and, and uh, I, I felt more human again. There's also a study uh, out of Denmark uh, that uh, showed when people deactivated Facebook for a week, they were happier on the other side of that uh, week. Uh, and these were also, uh, uh, particularly people who were prone to self-comparison. Um, and so younger people primarily. Um, so, uh, so they were happier and had better well-being. There's also another big study that shows that uh, uh, more time spent on Facebook, no matter what you do on Facebook, is and this is adults of all ages, was correlated with worsened well-being, symptoms of depression, and so forth. So, so there is, a, you know, there should be a Surgeon General's warning on Facebook that this could <laughs> cause effects with your mental health. Um, but, uh, uh, and you know, there was this uh, case of uh, emotion, uh, the emotional experiment on Facebook, where they, where they, where they showed people more negative posts, and they actually measured that their that their uh, that what they posted in turn became more negative. So I mean, it was a small effect, but it was noticeable. So there is an effect of social media on Who did your, this research? Who? Facebook did the oh, research. Facebook? Okay. Facebook, because they tinker with the algorithm all the time. And their goal is to keep you on Facebook more. So this is they, they tweak it and then measure, OK, do they spend more time on Facebook? And when do they inject yeah. the nicotine? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, that may be coming. You know, yeah. that that's when they have the when Mark when Mark uh, builds his virtual reality okay. and uh, can really get you hooked. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say I can share that because I did the mindfulness challenge and granted I was on vacation while I was unplugged, so that was a little bit easier to not be engaged. Um, and then when I came back, it it's. It was hard to stay off. So, you know, like, I just got back into it, and it is, I could see those addictive um, traits happening again. And it's, it is work-related. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm sure you have that. Yes. So that's a little challenging, I think, with people that need to use social media for work purposes, as opposed to, I'm not taking selfies or posting photos of my children every day. Um, but I know there are, I see people that do that and they annoy me. And then it, it's, it's interesting to then notice that I'm annoyed by other people that I supposedly call friends. Yes. Right, right. So. Well, yeah, that happens. <laughs> Yeah, and then we then we don't like ourselves for doing that. You know, it's, it's all this. You <laughs> yeah, know. and I, I think yeah. I read, you know, at one of at some point in the book or a blog post or something that um, you know you you see people um, posting things. Yeah, and you get annoyed by them, and it, it's just this interesting weird little cycle that you go through because you're bored or you're standing in line somewhere and you decide to just check your feed and you know I even find myself like just randomly just picking up my phone and I'm like what am I doing <laughs> so it's it's really bad and I and so it's great that you've written this book because I'm being more conscious of it to then break these cycles and the, it's been proven that you know, or that they've talked about these apps and stuff are created to reprogram our brains. Um, yeah, and so, get you hooked. But there is yeah. uh, the 
There are apps uh, for Android and uh, the new iOS update which track your app use and you can shut off apps and, and, and uh, limit your time on certain apps. So there are, they're starting to get the message, um, but I think it's still up to you to take advantage of those. And, and the other thing is what I notice on Facebook, uh, in addition to this, these dissatisfactions, I tend to, to like people and, and want to interact with them. And I would notice myself getting annoyed as I scroll through because I couldn't uh, interact with everybody. You know, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't uh, 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 comment and like and so forth. And actually there was a guy who, you know, I'm not the only one, there's a guy who invented a bot that liked all of his friends' posts on Facebook. Uh, just to solve this problem for himself, uh, but Facebook found out about it and, and they shut it down. So, uh. so I mean, so I think we all, you know, it's like what you, we want to belong, but what happens when we don't get that feedback? I think there's something that happens internally. Um, so, yeah. yeah, or when someone shares that someone passed away or that they're having a bad day. And you kind of see it in your feed and you're just like, oh, that kind of sucks. And you just keep going. Or how do I help? You know, like just putting a heart, is that, in, like, that's not really enough. <laughs> or what's even worse, you see them, they have 300 likes for their misery, right. and then you can't even get 10 for yours. You know, I mean, this is, this is the kind of thing that happens, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's crazy that we're comparing ourselves like that. When you did your detox, how did you um, maintain contact with people that are not, like, in your physical did you like get their contact information and email them? Like, Some people I did. Mostly I just, uh, I just made a point to have lunches and conversations and events with people who wanted to hang out with me. And that was it. And I didn't worry about when I would the see. Ones that you weren't I just, yeah, I just, you know, I mean. Yeah, you know, became more um, proactive. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. I think yeah. we can offer her stuff yeah. instead of liking whatever. I put words from my heart. Mm -hmm. I don't care how it's received. It's just something I would want to say to help mm -hmm. the situation. Uh, for example, there was a colleague whose nephew's got this rare cancer that my other friend's daughter also had. I just said something to him, just hard to put out there. And hopefully, my words and my energy helps. I don't want anything back for it. Yeah. And that's great. I mean, you know, I've heard those stories from people who feel very comforted when they post something and people, somebody from around the world might say something very warm and encouraging. And I've used that in times of, you know, I was traveling in India and kind of, you know, needed to have a place of connection. It's been helpful at, at these times. So I'm not saying it's all bad. Uh, it's just a question of how, how just observing your own inner life and uh, in your time you know, basically, how do you want to use your time? Uh, um, that's, that's and the other part yeah. of Facebook is my wife and I just got a Class B camper van March first. Oh, okay. <laughs> and when I have a problem, I get on the Facebook stuff. And human beings are generally helpful. They're yes. good people. Yes. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah, crowdsourcing. Uh, a lot of these, you know, putting something out and people, you know, that does that. So there are not. It's not all bad, like I said, you know, but... So, so that helps me out in today's yeah, world of yeah. political dis discourse and all that BS. How do you deal with it when there is that discord online? How do you... Uh, I go watch TV. Okay, so you just, you just tune it out in some way. Okay. Because yeah. no matter what I say, no matter what I post, it's not going to change the person's mind. Right. If anything else, I will 
unfriend that person. I've unfriended a couple of people. I, I don't need them. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I don't need people who are just goes against the grain of common decency. Well, see, that's, that's great, and that works. I mean, people do defriend or hide and so forth, but I had a hard time doing that because I also thought, this is a person who's in pain from whatever's going on in the world. And then I would, I would you know, I, it would sit with me, and I didn't know how to address that online. And I think I could only address those situations. I mean, all these uh, problems that people are experiencing boil down to an empathic failure somewhere in their lives and in the world, I think. Um, and, and so, I mean, I don't think you can totally provide this kind of empathic connection online. You can do something, but I think to close the loop when somebody's really in distress requires physical presence. I don't think we, we have what's called the open limbic loop. We're soothed by connection, by presence with each other. And I, I worry that when we connect online, we lose that that quality, that that social being, you know, I think is is really in danger. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I discussed this unfriending person thing with a bunch of strangers yeah. at the uh, Chinese Cultural Center. And one lady said, you can talk to that friend, but be very careful what you say because there's stuff there that you might want to think about two or three times before you put it out there. So I'm still thinking about it. Right, right. Yeah, so, and you're holding that. Right. right, you're holding that. So that's, and, and maybe just seeing your smiling face might help that person, you know. She's on the other side of the country. So. Okay, oh, well, so, yeah. Oh, so first you and then you. Or yeah, sorry. you could do that very old-fashioned thing and write a note. Yeah. And supplement the post office with it. They have all kinds of right. lovely fancies. And I, I believe that a short note, to me, does more than to me, I go even more old fashioned. I call. Oh, that too. Yeah. But when you get a nice note, some kind of thank you note or some kind of acknowledgement, and it's got something really nice written on it, I mean, that's a keeper. You can go to that whenever you're feeling blue. In my opinion, far better, far uh, more than go on social media and just write that, uh, write that thing that this very nice person sent you. Well, except they're not in a lot of school districts. They're not teaching handwriting anymore. Uh, and also, if you ever saw the movie Her, it was about this guy who works for a company that uh, you send them an email and they turn it into uh, the computer turns it into a handwritten email. Uh, so a handwritten letter. So yeah. You get them so, on yeah. the email. Right, right, right. How many people are sending out? Right, letters? right. So this, this, yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I yes. want to say something. I don't know how to put it in words. I'm probably the oldest, but nobody's really going to hear. The real young people, I think you need a dead horse because I don't think that you, I mean, I know myself that you need, for me, person to person. I think the young people ever learned it. And they're not going to need it. It's going to have to come from these symbols or some other way that we don't see. You might be right, and they I may be—they may right. be creating a new culture in social media, yeah. which we don't understand yet. But I think the research, the early research, is that the uh, the, the iGen, uh, you know, that narcissistic personality inventory. Okay. And, uh, the NPI scores have dropped after uh, 2009, 
uh, to, to 1990s levels. So they're not as narcissistic, but they're more insecure, they're more lonely, depressed, anxious, and suicidal. So, um, so, and they're also safer because they don't drive, they don't go out to the dates, they just stay at home in their <laughs> rooms and, and they're on their smartphones. So, so this is an open question. And, and uh, Dr. Twenge says that uh, the tasks of adulthood have basically been delayed for them. So, so what's going to happen in five or ten years? I don't know. So, so are they? What what kind of culture will they start to create? I mean, I don't I don't think we know yet. Uh, really. Which one? The movie you were talking about. Yeah. What's it called, Her? Her, yeah, Spike Jones. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe it's the wrong one, where he goes up to Lake Tahoe and he has, has a relationship with the computer. That's her. I think that's her, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. 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 Oh, the book is very good, but the movie is not bad. The movie is, yeah. it's hard to really get it, but they never kind of good. They did have to watch it over again, but it's, uh, it really kind of talks about a lot of this stuff that they're doing on Facebook and a lot of this is going on. But you like to understand what's going on, even though, you know, I'm not a big participant of Facebook. I enjoy it once in a while I go up and I, and I find myself stalking people. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't really mean to, but okay. somebody, I haven't seen men for years and they're related to somebody else. And the next thing I know, it's 1230. <laughs> and it's not important, but right. it's enjoyable. Right. right. Well, and this is the question. I think in the culture, you know, I, I traced my sense of this, but there's this, uh, uh, there are a lot of dystopic visions of uh, what technology is doing. And then there's the cyber evangelists uh, just south of here and north of here who think that it's going to solve everything. And I, I mean, that's, that's not true. But the experts, Sherry Turkle, who's been studying media for 30 plus years, Jaron Lanier, who was the, one of the pioneers of virtual reality, they've come over 30 years, they've come full circle and they're, they're critics now about what it's doing to relationship. So, I mean, they, you know, we should pay attention to the experts, I think. Um, you know, so, um, I, I, but I don't think so. I think I think culturally we're still in this evangelistic. Oh, technology is going to solve everything, and everything you can order on your phone, and and uh, I say it's like, you know, being in your cyber womb, and you don't have to leave your house. You can just, you know, and that's that's helpful for people who need that. But, you know, how much does that take out of the IRL, the in real life, the interactions between people? Yeah. And we're probably solving it the way we solve problems in this country, which is the free market. Like it's just kind of like the, the the idea of the tech industry is that let the market decide. Like right. adoption will dictate whatever happens to the culture. Right. Right. That's right. I mean it's a frustrating thing, but that's kind of the narrative, which is let the people decide through their own use of it. If we can make money on it, it's good. You know, people adopt yeah, it. People adopt it. I mean, which right. means giving it away for free until right. they're hooked, and then, right. you know, like that right. whole model. So. Well, you know, Facebook is free, but they're making a lot of money on what they what they sell you. So it's not free, and they're basically you're monetizing your relationships and monetizing your privacy in service to their empire. Now, do they have good intentions? I think some of their intentions are good. They have a compassion team that works on, you know, creating healthier interactions and objections to offensive posts. But you know, 
evolutionarily, uh, going back to the question of uh, the other man asked, of, are we basically narcissistic or not? Evolutionarily speaking, no. Uh, I think Franz Duval has a lot of uh, uh, you know, research on this. He studies bonobos and chimpanzees. And uh, uh, we're, you know, are we basically good with some problems on the outside? Or are we kind of self-centered and bad on, and, and just some uh, kind of a patina of good on the outside? Actually, the, the former is true. I think we're basically good, but then problems can arise when we don't get empathy, when we don't get nurturing, when we don't get belonging uh, and connection. I think that can turn people kind of in, in weird ways. And uh, so I think we've got to, you know, that's the environment. Uh, uh, and so can can human beings uh, maintain their goodness if they're, if they're so separate from each other, if we're only relating to screens? I think it's an open question. Um, so are there any other questions? I think my NR my solution is when the zombie apocalypse comes, <laughs> we all show our true colors. <laughs> and you smack the sucker down and you feel so good. All right. Well, I mean. <laughs> so we can show our true colors uh, and not become Facebook zombies. Uh, maybe that's. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Thank okay. You. All right. Thank you very much.